Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Chapter 834 Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... The Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Claire, thank you very much. Please uh, do keep your Bibles open. And uh, something else I think you'd find uh, useful is to uh, grab hold of um, one of these, which is a little sermon outline. It's on the back of uh, the songs during communion. And at least you'll see where we're going in the next few moments. And good morning to you all. It's uh, lovely to see you. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll have a look at that Bible passage together. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you very much that we've been able to sing of the kind of God you are because you've revealed yourself to be this kind of God, one who is both majestic and awesome but also wonderfully loving, showing and demonstrating that love in the death of the Lord Jesus supremely. And we pray as we think more of uh, who you are Uh, we pray that you'd help us to see what you'd have of us in response to all that you've done for us in the first place. In Jesus' name, amen. I want an easy life without any pain. I want to win tennis matches without having to spend hours and hours on the practice court. I want to feel fit and healthy without having to exercise regularly. I want great exam results without the study. I want to be successful in my career without working really long hours. I want to be able to play a musical instrument without all the rehearsing. I want an easy life without all the pain, but but life doesn't work like that. And if you have teenagers who are facing exams or have really high expectations of a terrific career or sporting success, I imagine you've needed to tell them that life doesn't work like that. But here's the thing, the Christian life doesn't work like that either. You see, um, I want Jesus, or or rather, I I want all the things that Jesus gives me, you know, forgiveness of my sin and acceptance with God and eternal life, especially eternal life, but I want that without any of the pain, without the sacrifice of putting Jesus before all the things I love in this life. But the Christian life doesn't work like that. Look with with me at Mark chapter 8, verse 34. These words of the Lord Jesus. Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow men. If we're going to follow Jesus, it will be painful. Denying self and taking up cross is the way to follow Jesus. Jesus is quite clear. This is true for everyone who would come after him. What Jesus teaches here is not just for the really keen Christians. You know, as if there's kind of two categories of Christians. There's the, um, the, the committed Christians and then there's regular Christians. 
No, no, verse 34, Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and he said, if anyone would come after me. The crowd, the disciples, anyone. This is not something unique to the really keen Christians among us. This is the only way to follow Jesus. Indeed, if we don't follow him like this, then we're not following him at all. Look, here's the headline. I've put it on the, uh, on the handout. The Christian life is a cross-shaped life. So Tim Keller writes uh, these words. As Jesus takes up a cross, we must do the same. As the cross and glory are linked in his life, so the cross and glory will be linked in our lives as well. We saw last week in verse 31 uh, that Jesus had to suffer and die before he was raised to life and glory. For Jesus' glory came only after the pain of rejection and the cross. That's there in verse 31. So verse 31 gives us the pattern of Jesus' life and following him means following the same road that he followed. Suffering first and only then will glory come. Now verse 31 is really important to see that. That makes sense of verse 34. But verse 31 is really important that we go back there before we really dig into verse 34 because it gives us a context without which we could be in all sorts of trouble. You see, last week, very helpfully, Chris explained to us in verse 34 that Jesus, the Son of Man, must suffer and that he must be killed. Do you see that in verse 31? The word must, it comes twice. And we we heard very clearly that the only way for men and women and boys and girls to be saved for eternity was for Jesus to suffer and die on the cross. There was no other way. He must suffer and he must die. And if you're in any doubt with that, just think about him in, on, in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said to the Lord, if there's any other way, he didn't want to go to the cross if he didn't have to. And Jesus had to suffer and die because we can't make ourselves right with God. Now it is crucial we remember that as the context of verse 34. Otherwise we might be tempted to think when we read verse 34 that Jesus' words here are teaching us that our living a life of self-sacrifice is what saves us. That is not it. Jesus' death saves us. But here in verse 34 we see clearly what it means to follow him. And Jesus says there are two things that anyone who would come after him must do. Again, they're on the handout. The first is deny self, and the second, take up your cross. Firstly then, deny self. You'll see it there, verse 34. Why deny self? Because it is putting self that gets us into trouble in the first place. Putting myself first ruins life for me and for everyone else, but more than that, it separates me from God. Being selfish, saying, I want, I want, I'm not going to have you, God, I'm first, is the problem. So Jesus died so that I could be forgiven for all my selfishness, for putting myself and my desires before God. And so now, having my sin forgiven and my relationship with God restored and a fresh start with God, I should want to turn away from the very thing that got me into such a mess in the first place. Deny self. And secondly, take up your cross, verse 34. It's an arresting phrase. It's a call to die. It is that stark. 
We need to remember this because today we reduce taking up our cross to nothing much more than a mild irritation and the occasional struggle. So you talk to a friend about a difficult boss at work or or the fact that you're struggling with a heavy cold and they respond, oh well, we all have our crosses to bear. Suddenly taking up your cross has been reduced to having a heavy cold. No, when Jesus said these words, taking up your cross was to be on your way to the most horrible, excruciating and humiliating death. When Jesus was led off to the, to the cross to be crucified, he had to carry the wooden crossbeam of the cross he was going to be executed on. He had to take up his cross. See, it's the language of death, being prepared to die. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus, I will die for you. Again, let's get the order right. You died for me to rescue me from eternal death. You are now my everything. In response, not to get eternal life, but in response, I lay down my life for you. That is the Christian life. Not how you get right with God, not how you secure eternal life. Jesus has done that for you on the cross, but it is how you respond. Wow, you've done all that for me. Then I give my life to you. And so this begs the question, is that how I'm living? Am I taking up my cross Does following Jesus cost me significantly? If I can't think that it does, then I have to wonder if I'm following Jesus at all. And this is not just about the really big things in life. It is about that, but it's not just about that. When I um, speak at weddings, um, often here, uh, I am quite often asked to speak from Ephesians chapter 5, where we're told that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, being ready to die for her. And uh, I talk to the groom about this and um, say, you know, so you've got to be ready to to die for your bride. And uh, you can just see him, you know, besotted with her. It's lovely. He's so in love with her. He would die for her. His heart is bursting with love for her. He's ready to go wherever I say that he's got to go to die for her. But then I say, well, it's all very well being macho about it and saying I die for her. People will love you for that and it makes you look the real hero. But honestly, if you're not prepared to do your fair share of the housework or give up time with your mates when she needs you, if you won't show your love in the small everyday things of life, then saying you're ready to die for her really means nothing and suddenly the the smile comes off his face. It's the same thing in taking up your cross to follow Jesus. It will be worked out in the huge ways of what we do with our time and our money and the whole direction of life. It will affect who we marry and how we raise our children, everything. Being a Christian is a whole life thing that affects every aspect of life, but it also needs to be worked out in hundreds of little decisions every day. When I'm at work and at home, in in my leisure time, in the office, in the kitchen, in the bedroom, on the sports field, deny self take up cross that verse 34 is what it means to follow Jesus but why would I want to do that that just sounds so hard Ernest Shackleton the famous explorer from the beginning of the 20th century reportedly placed this advert in a national newspaper men wanted for hazardous journey small wages bitter cold Long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, honour and recognition in case of success. 
Shackleton's expedition on the appropriately named Endurance was a nightmare. The ship was frozen in a sheet of ice for nine months. When the ice began to melt, the ship uh, sprang a leak and began to to sink. So the ship's crew had to spend months camping on the ice floes. Finally, when they had no choice, they sent a rescue party in tiny little lifeboats in a hurricane-force wind to, to a whaling station 800 nautical miles away. Shackleton warned it would be grim, and it was. And it makes you wonder why anybody went in the first place. And these words of Jesus make you wonder why anyone would want to follow him in the first place. Deny yourself. Be ready to die. Why would anybody want to do that? Why would anyone want to make that kind of sacrifice with their lives? Well, in the verses that follow, Jesus gives us four reasons why living self-sacrificially for him is the sensible option. I've put them all down on here. I'll go through them with you now. The next four verses all begin with the word for, the little word for, telling us why it makes sense to deny self and take up cross. You can't see it in the uh, NIV, but they all begin with for, uh, building one building on the next one. The first one, uh, lose your life, you save it. Verse 35, four, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Here's the first reason why it's worth denying yourself and being ready to die for Jesus. If you try and save your life now, you'll lose it, but if you lose your life, you will save it. This is talking about eternal life. And the next four verses as we go through them, they're clearly all focusing on eternity. Unless we get that clear, none of this will make sense. Jesus says, if you lose your life now, you'll gain it for eternity. That's the big thing he's going to say. But the principle here in verse 35 is not something that we can only understand in eternity. I mean, it is about that, and don't lose that. But just to illustrate it, the world works like this now. Because the world who made, was made by God and reflects the God who made the world. And because our God is a self-giving God, the world has been designed to work best so that when we lose ourselves, we find ourselves. When we give of ourselves, then we get. So I have a day off and I'm tired and exhausted, but I decide to use my day off to, to help others, maybe help a friend move house. And at the end of the day, I climb into bed exhausted and spent, but it's been a wonderful day, satisfying day. So much more satisfying than if I'd spent it selfishly lolling around pleasing myself. When I give myself, I find myself. You, I mean, you know this. Think about Christmas. As a kid, I used to think that the best thing about Christmas was getting, getting presents. The bigger, the better. The more, the merrier. Now I know that Christmas is all about um, giving. Well, Christmas is all about Jesus. I'm a vicar, I know that. But you know, Christmas is all about giving presents. Much better to give. I love it when I give. And actually, when I give, I get. I don't mean I get more presents. I mean, when I give, I, I get. I, you know, it's great. And think of marriage or any relationship come to that. I can go into a marriage asking, what am I going to get out of this? Or I can have the attitude, what can I give to this? And if I give myself, if I'm, self, if I'm self-denying in my marriage, my marriage works better. We know this. Now, look, I could go on with... Many, many, many examples because the whole world works this way because God himself is a giving God. We see that supremely in the cross of Christ and he has set up this world to reflect who he is. So when I give of myself, I get. When I lose myself, I find myself. When I lose my life, I save it. 
Now those are just illustrations because the big point is what is true in this life is true of eternal life. So when Jesus says deny yourself, take up your cross, yes, it is hard, but it is the secret to an abundant, fulfilling experience in this life and the next. It's not easy, but it's the best way to live. And it's not a guarantee that all will go well in this life, but it will all go well in the next. And just remember when we're saying, when we're looking at all this, who says this? This is the one who himself laid down his life for us. If he would do that, he's only going to be, he loves us so much, he's only going to say things that are for our good. Second, Jesus says, gaining everything, you lose it. Again, it's not in the NIV, but the verse begins with the word for. Verse 36, for what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? You see, having told us the value of living a sacrificial life, Jesus raises the stakes to about as high as they could be. He says, what if you could gain the whole world? What if you actually owned everything in the world? It's a strange way to think, but you'll see what he's doing here. Jesus says, would it be worth losing everything that this world affords for Jesus, for, for me? Uh, the writers Andrew Satch and uh, Tim Hyorns write this. You get the best degree from the best university and so you get a place with the best law firm, you wear the best suits and drive the best car and you live in the best flat with the best postcode, you win the best girl or the best guy and enjoy the best marriage with the best children who get into the best schools and get the best grades. Having invested in the best pension, you enjoy the best retirement and play the best golf you have the best funeral with the best coffin. What would be the point? It's quite hard, isn't it, hearing that? But that is what Jesus is saying. And he's not saying it to get at us. He's saying it to help us to save our lives for our good because he loves us. What's the point of having everything now if you have nothing for eternity? But desperately, that is the way many people live. I not only take weddings, I take funerals here and I've stood here taken funerals with people who've lived like that. What is the point of having everything and then for eternity having nothing? Verse 36, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Better to lose my life than to lose eternity, isn't it? This is so hard for us to see living here in this part of the world and I don't just mean living in the West or, or, or living in England, I mean living in this part of the world in Fullwood. We can have such a wonderful life here. I love living here, it's brilliant. We may not have everything the world offers but honestly it doesn't get much better than this. When the sun is shining on the tennis court, it's beautiful. And so we can get sucked into this life, trying to gain the whole world. And it seems worth it until we think of eternity. Because eternity is a very long time. And so Jesus tells us to deny ourselves and take up our cross, even if the world is your oyster. Yes, following Jesus now will cost you, but if it, even if it costs you everything this world could give you, it's worth it, he says. Third, Jesus says, bartering won't cut it. 
Again, verse 37, it begins with the word for. For what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Again, Jesus is building up the, uh, the argument. And in verse 37, he takes us to that moment when we will be face to face with God. And he asks in that moment, what can you give in exchange for your soul? There you are, standing before God, having given your heart and soul to gave, gaining a, a great university education, a terrific career, fine clothes, a huge house, a terrific pension, foreign travel. You have all this stuff. And verse 37, what are you going to use to barter with God? Apart from the fact we know that we can't take it with us, do you think that God would be interested in your house or your bank balance or the pictures from your foreign holidays or your car or... Verse 37, what can you exchange for your soul? Look, here's the choice if you want to see it on the screen. Uh, We can look at life now. If we look at life now, if now is all we have, we have two choices, either save our life or to lose it. If this life is all we have, well, it's obvious, we'll save it. I was listening to Ricky Gervais being interviewed on the radio on Tuesday. It was a great, great interview. I loved it. You can hear the interview on the BBC Sound Headliners podcast. And um, right at the end of it, he said this. I know that I'm going to die and never exist again and be forgotten like everyone else. But I also know this is a remarkable opportunity. I treat it like a holiday. We don't exist for 13 and a half billion years. Then we have 90 years, if we're lucky, of the most incredible experience in the universe and then we won't ever exist again. So you've got to make the most of it. And that's great. Live life to the fullest and be kind and don't hurt animals. I don't know what that last bit, well, I do actually. I know exactly why he said that last bit because I listened to the whole interview. But anyway, you see the point. If this is all we have, then Ricky Gervais is absolutely right. And you don't expect a Christian preacher to say that very often. Save your life now. Suck the marrow out of life. And if this is all there is, self-sacrifice is for fools. But if Ricky Gervais is wrong and Jesus is right and there is eternal life and you know which way I'm going to go here, then let me ask you, in eternity, do you want to save your life or lose it? Again, it's a no-brainer. Eternity is a very long time. I don't want to be lost for eternity if I can save my life for eternity. And so this is actually the choice. Have a look at this. If Jesus says I have to lose my life now in order to save it for eternity, of course I will lose it now. Better to lose my life now than to lose eternity because no sacrifice is too great if eternal glory is on offer. Verse 36, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? See, it's having eternity in view that enables me to make the right choices. Thanks, you can put that down now. I have felt this acutely in the last years. I've seen a good mate sell his soul for sex. He was serially adulterous. And now he's given up the Christian life. I've seen someone sell their soul for promotion. So desperate to climb the corporate ladder, they moved to a place where there was no decent church and so they stopped meeting with God's people, spent all their time at work and now Jesus doesn't figure in their life. I've seen others sell their soul for pleasure and stuff. 
Life for them is an endless pursuit of wanting a bigger house and better holidays. And look, they've had a whale of a time. Not like they're miserable or anything. They love it. But Jesus doesn't figure anymore. Look, denying self and taking up cross might look foolish now, but it won't in eternity. And so forth on the handout. Ashamed, you'll blow it. Again, verse 38 begins with the word for. For if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. See, living for Jesus now will cost us now. And not least of all, because Jesus and his words are so countercultural and so unacceptable these days. So much of what he teaches just won't cut it in this life. People don't want to know. And if we stand up for him, it then will be costly. And so we'll be tempted to be ashamed of Jesus and his words. At work, you'll be tempted not to say or do the right thing. To keep quiet or to compromise so you don't lose a promotion or your job or respectability. It's always going to be there, isn't it, that choice? Oh, not just at work. Uh, we feel it with our friends and family who aren't Christians as well. We'll be tempted to be ashamed. That's what verse 38 is about. And all that is true in a kind of general sense. But here in verse 38, being ashamed of Jesus and his words has a very specific application. Last week, we saw how Jesus said that he must die. And he said that because there is no other way for people to be saved. But remember... Peter was ashamed of those words. Verse 32, Jesus spoke plainly about this, that he must suffer and die. And verse 32, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Peter didn't want Jesus to go to the cross. Peter was ashamed of a suffering Messiah, of a crucified Messiah. And here's the point of verse 38. If we're ashamed of the cross and of Jesus' death being the only way to be saved, then we are, at that moment, rejecting the only way of salvation. And so, verse 38, if anyone's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. If we're ashamed of the cross, then, of course, we'll not be saved on the last day because the cross is the only way we can be saved. And Peter was ashamed. But remember, that wasn't the end of Peter's story. Because of the cross, there's always a way back. And Peter repented and believed, trusted in the cross for salvation. Friends, while you still have breath in your lungs, it's never too late to turn or to return to Jesus, to deny self and take up cross. It's the only sensible way to live. Because trying to save my life, I will lose it. Any attempt to gain the whole world, I'll forfeit my soul. But if I lose my life, I'll find it. If I deny myself and take up my cross and I'm ready to die for Jesus, I'll have eternal glory to look forward to. And one day in eternity, with forever stretching out ahead of me, will tell me that it was all worth it. Let's pray together.
Well, no more words from me. I'm not going to pray. I'm going to leave a moment of silence for us to make our own prayers to God. It might be that some here want to start with Jesus and you um, need to just ask him to accept you and he will. Others, most of us perhaps need to be asking how we can begin to live this kind of life, reflecting on all that he's done for us. So a moment of silence.